Hey guys, welcome to this episode of Awe Stories. Each week we speak with some beautiful souls about self-care, radical self-love, and the practices that have led them to transform into being heroes of their own lives. I hope you leave each episode feeling inspired and motivated in your own journey of self-discovery, ready to create greater presence and moments of wonder and awe in your everyday life. Welcome to this week's episode of Awe Stories. I'm super thrilled that we get to talk to Lindsay Gibson. She is an author, a coach, and super amazing human. She shares her story through trauma and stillbirth, and I'm so grateful for her courage to share her story as it's October 15th, which is National Pregnancy and Infant Loss Awareness. The statistics are one in four. I am one in four. For those mamas out there, know you're not alone, and we're celebrating your sweet ones along with ours. Just a heads up, we do go into conversation around her trauma and her stillbirth. As always, you can find our show notes and resources on our website at www.abreathoffreshawe.com. Thanks for joining us. Hey, Lindsay, how are you doing today? I'm doing good. How are you? Good. Thank you so much for coming on our show. Yes, thank you for having me. This is great. Would you mind telling us a little bit about yourself and your background? Sure. Uh, So I am a, first and foremost, I'm a wife and a mother to three children. I've got two beautiful blondie daughters who look nothing like me (laughs) um, that I mother here on earth. And I have one son who's in heaven and he soars above all of us. And besides doing my motherly duties, I do stay home with them and work from home. It's a job that is a lot of work to juggle. I am a speaker. I'm also a writer. I'm about to publish my first book entitled Just Be, How My Stillborn Son Taught Me to Surrender. That's coming out next March. I'm so excited. It's been a year and a half journey of writing. So exciting. I'm, oh, my God. It's, it's, I'm, I can't express that enough. It's so exciting. It's taken me about two years to write this book. A lot of tears, a lot of pauses, a lot of fears and blocks I've had to push through. But my husband, my family, my daughters are amazing, and they have guided me through this. So on top of writing my book, I am a coach. I'm a, I call myself a joyful soul coach because once you read my memoir, you'll see how it all lines up to rediscovering the joy that we all have inside of us, always. Your joy never goes away, and my memoir... Uh, displays my entire story and how I found my joy again. And so I coach others one-on-one. I do also do group coaching and I have an online self-study called Journal Back to Joy. So I do a lot of coaching with that. Here in Connecticut, which is where I live, I teach Mama Joy Yoga, which is a postpartum recovery series, Joyful Birth Education, And I am hoping to do one-on-one trauma yoga once this book is complete with the edits, which is take, which is ruling my life right now. So you have such busy hands right now. Oh yeah. Different hats. Yes. Very. Oh yeah. Totally. (laughs) So how did you get to be joyful? I know that what you're talking about in your memoir, and your book, it sounds like you went through a lot to get to joy. Yes. Oh, it's been quite a journey. So the memoir, it covers 13 years from age 18 up until 29 when I lost my son, Joe. I lost him November 12th, 2013 at 26 weeks gestation. So the memoir actually covers beyond that a little bit. It does cover the pregnancy and 
uh, or rainbow pregnancy with my two-year-old Layla. So it does cover that and postpartum depression, which was very unexpected. It took me a long time to come out with that as well because she was my rainbow. And being in the mother world, I, um, with my company and doing the Joy Yoga series and everything, my company, by the way, is called Healthy Mom, Happy Baby. So um, that's what I've been doing before I started my book writing and speaking. Um, everybody kept saying, you must be so excited. But I wasn't. I was never excited through her whole pregnancy. I was terrified. And then afterwards, I was slammed with unexpected postpartum depression. So my book does cover it and touch upon that. So um, yes, it's been a journey. I can't express that <laughs> enough. So what did life look like before all of this began. So what, before you started your practices, you talked about yoga a little bit. What did life look like before you started yoga? So before yoga, so I started yoga when I was 18. I found it in college. It became kind of the thing to do um, on my days that I wasn't exercising. So I thought my active recovery days should include yoga. I tried Pilates as well. Um, But yoga prior was nothing but physical to me. I only knew and focused on the asanas, just focusing on that. Did it help me in many ways? Sure, it helped my flexibility, my endurance, but I would always leave when the meditation began at the end in Shavasana. I couldn't lay in corpse pose. It scared me. I couldn't be alone with my thoughts. I was terrified. My yoga teachers would kind of always look at me odd when I would just get up, but nobody said anything to me. So it became, I became the girl that would leave at the, right before the last five minutes of class was. Um, so that's where my yoga journey began. And that's when it was introduced to me. So and, Lindsay, why would you yeah. leave class? Well, I told my, this is what I told myself back then. I said, I didn't need it. It didn't, it, it wouldn't, wasn't serving me in any way. And I just wanted to carry on with my day. But truth be told, meditation or being alone, I could not handle my thoughts. In fact, through college, so I started at 18. This I went to school in Boston. And I would do it here and there, up there with my friends. And I would always keep myself busy, surrounded by people. I was a heavy partier. And I couldn't be alone with my thoughts because of what happened to me at 16 years old. I had a, a traumatic event happen to me. I was raped and almost killed. And when I went to college, that's how I coped, was always being busy. I couldn't be alone with my thoughts and my anxiety. So uh, Shavasana, I just just pushed it away. Like, nope, I'm good. I just want to stretch and, and do some and poses and then I'm good. So that's how I treated yoga for a very long time. So maybe the way back in and then the journey back to yourself was possibly learning how to sit with the discomfort? Yep. Yes. So how it all changed. Like I said, this went on for a long time. And that's how I always viewed yoga to be was just this physical stretching and nothing else. I didn't even want to study about it. I didn't want to look into it. I've always been a woman of faith, but and a very spiritual person, but from about age 16, from after the rape, up until about four years ago, I didn't look at yoga to be any sort of benefit in terms of being one with myself or uh, finding a journey within myself of healing. I didn't want to heal. In fact, I put myself in complete denial after what happened to me. And my husband and I were surprised with our 10-year-old when I was 21, and she became 
she's like my soul sister. She is such, I connected with her immediately after she was born. And even though everybody was, oh my gosh, you're so young and this is going to be hard. Oh, I fell into motherhood because it helped me keep my denial. It helped me stay there because all I did was focus on her and how joyful I felt being her mother. But on the other side of the coin, the me part, I was not joyful with. It was dark. So it was like Lillian was my light. And then there was this darkness on the other side. And so I compensated. I did stop drinking when I got pregnant with her. But I compensated, overcompensated in other ways. I continued to overexercise using yoga as an active recovery. Nothing else more than that. But something changed in me after my son Joseph was born and then passed away all in one day. He, so my husband and I, we waited to have our second child for set till for seven years after we had Lillian because I did have her young and I had a lot to do. So when we were finally ready to have him in 2013, we were so excited. And I was excited to have a newborn again and to dive back into that feeling of being a mom again. And I was, because I was starting to slip about a couple years prior to his pregnancy. I started to find that the things that were working with my denial were no longer working anymore. And I thought, okay, great, I'm pregnant now. It's something for me to focus on because it worked so beautifully with Lillian. It didn't work so beautifully this time. Another change that happened with Joseph pre Joseph's pregnancy was I developed or I suffered with hyperemesis gravidarum with him, which I did not suffer with with Lillian. So I was very sick from the start, which was shocking. So that threw me for a loop. And if you're not familiar with hyperemesis gravidarum, it's just a pregnancy disease that results in severe nausea and vomiting. Are you familiar with that? <laughs> Yes, I've had friends who unfortunately have had it and the entire pregnancy is ridden by that. And yeah. like, I, I know for my friends that no medication, Yeah, you know, it, I mean, it would, it would make it at least so that they could eat, but you yeah. know, even then it was still really, really tough. Oh yeah. It, I, I, with Joseph, I, I had a pick line. Uh, I had a feeding or Zofran pump in my stomach. I couldn't even eat. There would be weeks that I would not eat at all. So it was on nutrition with IVs alone. It was the severest my obstetrician had seen in his 30 plus years. So um, it comes in all levels and all, it, it's just, it's even morning sickness is no fun. So it, it was completely unexpected, threw me for a loop. So but I was still through the fight because I did put myself in this fight mode with him. Like, I'm going to get through this because all I thought about was holding him. And I wanted to breathe him in just like I did with my, my Lillian when she was born. And I wanted to immerse myself into that because, like I said, I had felt myself slipping a couple years prior to getting pregnant with him. So I couldn't wait to use that as, as a tool again. Does that – I hope that makes sense. Yeah. No, it, I mean, a tool of – what sounds like still denying self in some form or fashion. Absolutely. I was, I was fighting and fighting to deny myself. So how did it all change? Well, in my book, there is a moment in chapter one where I discover the power of stillness. And this is when I was introduced, when I say discover it, because it was trying to show itself to me in many, many ways, but I kept ignoring it and ignoring it. So and chapter one was Joseph's birth. So it was a very, it's a very 
powerful intro or first chapter to the book, but um, I kind of unfold my story, not in orders, but it, 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 all, it all makes sense once you read it. Um, and this all happens after I woke up from a dream in the hospital room while I was birthing him. So I'm going to backtrack a second and say that I have been a lucid dreamer since early childhood. My dreams become so interactive that I could almost control them like a video game. If I know that sounds a little odd, but they were always so beautiful and so informative. In fact, my mother used to be so shocked at what I would tell her the next day after some of those dreams. Like, how did you know that? It was like I knew everything about everyone and often knew things before they happened. So I met all kinds of people in these dreams who I, would, who I didn't know and they would, they would just talk to me and tell me stuff. And I would wake up the next morning and write the dream down. Needless to say, I have a lot of journals collecting dust in my attic. And I have concluded that these people were most, more than likely different versions of myself. So that's how I became a writer. So I picked up a pen at about seven years old and said, I need to start writing these dreams down because they were that intense. And when things would start to happen, it, then I was like, okay, I really got to start recording this. So anyway, after... I, the rape at age 16, I stopped dreaming these beautiful lucid dreams and only experienced the horrors of repeated nightmares and insomnia. So lucid, I don't know if just lucid dreams really just mean awareness. Lucid just means aware. So um, that's why I would feel like I was in a video game when I was having these dreams because I was so, it was like I was awake. It was crazy. Um, but after the rape, gone. All these beautiful dreams, I stopped dreaming. I went from being aware and present in my dreams to reliving the past. There were even times where I would just sit up in bed with the lights on and turn up my music so loud so I was not alone in my head or fall asleep. I was scared to be awake and I was scared to be asleep. I would panic so much during the day. Some days it was constant panic attacks where I'd have to call an ambulance to come, to come get me and bring me to the hospital because they were that intense. So I often fell asleep at my desk in college, which definitely worried many of my professors through school. Um, and I also disconnected with my mind and body. There were many parts of my body that was numb or I couldn't feel anymore. Like my left shoulder where my attacker slammed me down on the ground repeatedly, there was no physical damage to that shoulder anymore. However, my mind was not letting my body release that pain. Our bodies truly keep the score like they hold on to every single experience that we go through in life so Bessel van der Kolk one of my yes. favorite people isn't he I just love him I just love him he, and his book our bodies keep the score I recommend it to yep. all of my clients <laughs> yeah, such a good yeah. book yeah and and for anybody who has experienced trauma or anybody who works with people who have uh experienced trauma it is it is truly the um I don't know I don't mean to call it like a Bible in any sort of, you know, spiritual kind of way, but it's, it is one of those go-to books must yes. have. He's a psychiatrist. So he's very, he, he has all, all different types of perspectives that he lays out in this book. And it, it describes trauma like I've never seen before. I couldn't put it down. I think I read it in like three days. So, and it's a big book. <laughs> and it's a big yeah. book. <laughs> yeah. 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 And it talks about, you know, this experience of our bodies um, where trauma is an embodied experience. And so that, yep. you know, it, we can't just um, talk our way through healing, right? That it has to be moved and shifted in our bodies as well. And 
that is why the practices of yoga or the practices where we move our bodies work so well with trauma survivors because it is not only the the talking healing component and the empowering being agents, being able to make the choice of, do I want to do this? How does this feel in my body? But also the um, the embodied experience of it where we're, you know, sitting in the discomfort and being with that and finding a way to be safe with yes, it. Yes, absolutely. And that's where I was coming to head. So I wasn't feeling safe with my body for so long. I wasn't feeling safe with my thoughts. I wasn't dreaming like I used to dream as a child any anymore. So awareness was completely lost to me. I was living in, uh, I wasn't even a survivor. I was still living in that fight mode. And my body was responding that way. I became sick. I became, uh, I started getting eczema, autoimmune disorders, thyroid disorders, migraines, you name it. I My body was just responding. So um, I continued, like I said, this way for 13 years, anxious, numb, uh, battling nightmares and also daytime flashbacks. My memoir really highlights those flashbacks that I had in Boston. Uh, I would see somebody on a train that looked like my attacker, but I had forgotten that night completely. So sometimes I, I didn't even recognize that it was my attacker. I was completely living in this nightmare day in and day out. And many of the moments that are described in my memoir to eventually physically my body breaking down, you'll see and like Dr. Uh, oh, I can never say his name. Dr. Van Bessel. Van der Kolk Bessel. Yes. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, I can never say it. Um, <laughs> he talks about the cells in their body. They're alive, right? Just like us. So because everything in my life was negative, fearful, anxious, the cells in my body began to follow suit. And so that's why I was starting to fall apart with all of those illnesses. But after seeing so many doctors, see, a lot of doctors are not in tune to trauma. So they okay, what pill do we give her? How do we mask this? How do we fix this? They never pointed it to anything that has happened in my life, although I never talked about it either. So it's almost like, you know, if you're not going to say it, how would they know? But still, like they never had asked me if anything traumatic had happened to me um, in my past. So I even developed all kinds of um, illnesses that sort of would never, I don't know, like autoimmune, like what I was mentioning with the autoimmune and thyroid, um, they pointed it towards my pregnancy with Lillian. Oh, a lot of women get thyroiditis um, after they're pregnant. And that is very, very true. And when I do health coaching, I do talk about the importance of thyroid health um, before and after pregnancy. But I was having these illnesses long before that. So I'm not sure exactly where things like that might have manifested from, but Amy, have you seen or heard of any illnesses such as thyroid or, or autoimmune happening from trauma? Have, have you had any experience with that? The body, the body reacts in so many different ways. And so, I mean, even, even just if you think about postpartum, I mean, you're talking about a period of time where your body is so in need of nutrients, right? And it just responds right. in a completely different way because it's not in its normal homeostasis or its normal state. So, um, so yeah, I mean, I've, I've lots of women that I work with in counseling, we, you know, our, our go-to is, have you been checked up recently? Have you had your blood test done? Because there may be a medical explanation for some of the manifestations of emotions, um, or there right. may not be. And both are just as valid and need to be honored and checked out in their own ways, right? 
Right, right. So, so that's good. I'm glad that you, um, you definitely are, are in tune with that because of all the therapists that I've seen, we, not all of them asked me that or are kind of aware that uh, the physical stuff that I was going through might have been related to trauma. So I've done, I've done a lot of study on it ever since, but, uh, and sometimes not like, like with a lot of my clients as well, it could be the pregnancy hormones and their body's response to the postpartum period and all that. So there's like a million different reasons and everybody has different walks of life with it. So um, I've just concluded that what I went through at 16, my body was holding on to it and holding on to it in so many different ways and breaking down along with my emotional state. So yeah, and I mean, what you're what you're talking about as far as like the physical manifestation, I mean, our cells are living beings, just like you said. And so it makes perfect sense that if our body experiences something in in, in one space or in one place, um, that if that is not healed or if that is not um, addressed or whatever, however you want to frame that, that it's Mm -hmm. going to continue to manifest in whatever way that it was hurt, right? Um, Right. Trauma, you know, I, I was talking with a mom earlier this morning and we talked about how, uh, you know, if we had a heart arrhythmia, that we would go to a doctor and we would talk to the doctor about getting our heart checked up. And that sleep rhythms are just as important because our sleep rhythm, mm-hmm. if we can't get to sleep or can't stay asleep, that that d- will dysregulate us and make us really emotional in a quick second. And that's not just mom. I mean, that would be anyone who would be dysregulated with sleep. You know, your your prefrontal right. cortex, the thinking part of your brain checks out, your emotional part of your brain is lit up and will stay lit up until you get sleep and get back into that rhythm. So yeah, of course right. it affects our body. Of course it affects that, you know, stable homeostasis when something impacts us, whether it's a physical trauma or an emotional trauma, anything, it's going to live in our bodies and be expressed in different ways. Absolutely. So, yes. And I didn't realize all those years, in those 13 years, that I was actually grieving. I was grieving for my own self. And I was so incredibly anxious because I was not allowing the grief to come in. I pushed it away with denial and was so scared to cry. Crying terrified me. Feelings terrified me. So much so that I disassociated with everything. So my body that's why my body was following suit because I was just living in constant fear. I was stuck. I was not even in flight or fight. I was frozen. And if someone told me that back then, I would have hid in my shell even deeper. That would have scared me too. I was just absolutely petrified to feel anything. And so being numb and in denial was my comfort zone, a zone where I just existed. I didn't know what living was anymore or at all. I used to overexercise as a release, but it was unhealthy to exercise that amount that I did. I was extremely underweight, especially in college. So yoga was used back then, like I was saying before, as just an active recovery day. I couldn't go a day without doing some sort of exercise. I couldn't just be. Hence the title of my book is Just Be. So not seeing or caring where the real benefits of yoga lied. I didn't realize that yoga could be one of the things that would be a bridge back to my joy again and back to myself. Writing was my other stepping stone towards that bridge as well. These two expressive arts healing modalities helped to finally integrate my pain. 
And so when did it all change? On the second night of the five-day stillborn event, like I was mentioning earlier, after I had that dream, and it was five days because there was a lot of complications during his birth. So that's that, that's why it lasted so long. Um, but on the second night, my dreams greeted me once again, and that is when my life transformed. Grief of my lost self was introduced to grief of losing my son, but this time I couldn't hide. I mean, how could I? I couldn't hide or deny that I love my son. But with my own self, I hadn't discovered myself fully yet at 16, so it was easier to run after that horrible night. So therefore, this time, I had no choice but to let grief make its way in and sit right next to me face to face. So the dream that I had in the hospital, I'm not going to give away because that's for the book, but I will say it was the second time a very special character was introduced to me. And when I woke up, something inside of me shifted. I became conscious of the storm of pain from my past and present that was all of a sudden circling around me. And at the time, I kept thinking, okay, I'm giving birth to my dead son. I cannot handle flashbacks of my past, but it was, it was literally like a tornado around me. It was an angry tornado, but I was, for the first time, still inside of it, meaning I was watching in awe. I was present to the stillness and I could literally feel warmth radiating through me, like through my arms. And I, I was like, what is happening to me? And that warm radiating, radiating sensation wrapped me up with love because I felt it. I felt it in my stomach. I felt it. I just all of a sudden felt elated because within this quiet and still moment, I began to finally release my emotions, my pain and everything I kept locked inside for 13 years. So this was my first step to surrendering. So while losing my son shattered my already broken heart, even more, more pieces, it allowed light to find me and showed me that no matter what was happening, our joy is always still there. It never goes away. It just gets clouded. So what I didn't see before I lost him was that a greater love was also always with me guiding me and waiting for me to surrender myself so that its glory and wisdom of this grief could bring me back to joy, right? So I walked into my first yoga class after this experience. And for the first time ever, I sat at the end in Shavasana. I lay down and I, and I started to meditate with the class. I was shaking from head to toe with tears just falling. And people next to me were probably like, what? is going on with her because it was a new class a new teacher so the tears turned into crying like you know big ugly crying and a part of those tears were of relief and gratitude and I was just so grateful to actually feel something and not be afraid of those feelings I couldn't believe what was happening so the yoga teacher came to me and after class she directed me to what's called trauma yoga series I never heard of that before I never even knew it existed. I, like I was saying earlier in this podcast, I look at yoga as just a physical exercise. And that first time laying there, listening to the teacher in the meditation, I was shocked. I couldn't believe how good it felt. So, and that is how yoga became a powerful tool to hold my hand as I rediscovered my joy and learned to live again. It taught me how to find that present moment again, like I had in the hospital room that day and created space between myself and all the traumatic events in my life. It also helped me to uncover that fateful night when I was 16. You see, I didn't remember that night 
for so many years. It would come in those flashbacks that I described during my years in Boston, like little snippets of it, but I never actually remembered the night in detail until a final flashback came back, and this was about uh, about a year after I lost my son, and it just it just came in. It poured in me, and I remembered everything. So that was the moment in my book that you'll see that I released my 16-year-old self that was stuck inside of me. So I began to feel parts of my body again and learn to breathe with my movements, detaching the hurtful memory that were also stuck to those areas of my body. And yoga became a journey back to myself, became a totally different experience. Like writing my book has done, yoga has truly saved my life. So, so different than your practice when you first started when you were 18. Yes. Where it was just a, a physical movement and just getting it done. And this sounds like a much more releasing, being embodied, practicing with your body, being with the discomfort. Yes, yes. And so I started to view yoga differently. I became actually, I, I, I became a teacher and trauma yoga sensitive certified as well. And life with yoga has never been the same. And it keeps getting better. I swear it does. (laughs) (laughs) So yeah. how did you learn to sit with your discomfort? What was that practice? The biggest thing was not to be afraid of it. Like I said, I pushed, I pushed all my pain and my tears away. I couldn't face it. Once I learned to just be and let those t- tears come how they need to come, let the anger come how it needs to come, I literally was like, all right, grief, come on, sit next to me because you're not going away. I'm going to grieve my, for my son for the rest of my life. And that's okay. I've learned to realize that's okay. Those feelings are okay. And once I started to do that, I started to develop some sort of softness. I can't describe it any more than the softness that overcame me, this compassion. And once that started to happen, I started to become soft towards what the memories, because you can't erase memories and you can't erase what happens to you. So um, this compassion and all of that would start to make it easier for me to handle. So when the memories come back, when I'm triggered, when these emotions happen, because life is going to continue. Um, even after you go through something difficult, more difficult situations are going to come. We can't, we can't control. That's just life. But now I've got this space, this softness, and it's like a cushion. And I'm able to take a breath and say, it's okay. It's okay. I need to cry today. Okay. I'm going to cry. If I'm angry, okay. And I become... Um, more sort of like more compassionate to those feelings themselves if that makes sense it makes perfect sense so how would you describe life at this point it's still I have to choose joy every day it's not like that's something that because that's what I've learned it's a choice and when I made a choice to live again, I have to make that choice every single day. Because like I was just saying, life just continues. And it's not like I say, okay, to my clients or my friends or whoever I'm talking to, okay, I made a choice to choose joy. So that means life is completely joyful. No, it's a struggle still because, um, you know, you can't, like I just said, you can't, oh, you have to excuse my two-year-old in the background if you can hear her. She I'm so sorry. Like she's a lot of fun. Yeah, she just ran by. Yeah, she's so cute. Yeah. So, um, so that's how my life is now. You know, I'm, I'm continuing to to learn and discover things about myself. Uh, I think I think it's a lifelong journey. 
to learn about who you are and uh, our journeys can shift and change and broaden and all kinds of things. And so uh, I'm living life in the present. I'm living life and enjoying each moment that they com- that it comes. And I truly believe each moment brings a pocket of joy. There is pockets of joy in every single day, e- even if it's tiny, even on our worst days. I always try to find that little pocket of joy because it's there. And for for 13 years, I lived not in the present. I lived completely in denial. So I'm enjoying it. I'm enjoying feeling my feelings. I'm enjoying feeling my body. And it's it's hard, yes, but I'm loving it. So it's amazing. And what a journey it is back to yourself. Yes. So Lindsay, yes. who has influenced you the most? What teachers or mentors have helped you um, or inspired you to be what you've become? I've had so many. I've had so many different spiritual counselors, coaches, therapists. I have a handful of therapists who, oh God, <laughs> saved me in many, many ways. Um, my mother has been a huge saint through this entire process. and my. But I'm going to have to say out of everyone, I'm going to have to say my husband because he has been, he's not only my best friend and the love of my life, and you're going to read our love story that's weaved in between this entire book, but he has been my greatest mentor through the 12 years that I have known him. He has challenged me in ways that at first would anger me, like when he first found out about the rape about a year after we were dating. His response was, I'm not going to give that away either, but it was not typical response. So, but those pushes that he would do with me got me to think even deeper. And now over the last like four years, I can see all that he has done and why he has done those things for me. So I'm, I'm just, I'm just going to have to give love to him. My Irish husband. (laughs) (laughs) Love it. Yeah. Yeah. And so if our listeners wanted to start a practice today or were interested in just stepping into some of their own discomfort and trying to find some more joy, where would you recommend that they begin? Oh, that's a really good question. Everybody has such a different path, you know, and such a different different experiences and different support, different families, different beliefs. Oh my gosh, that question can go <laughs> in so many different directions. But when I'm coaching with somebody like one-on-one, I the one of the really the first things that I ask is, what are you afraid of? And that question can spark into so much just from there. Because as a trauma survivor, or even just when you're dealing with everyday stress, I never made it aware what I was afraid of. I never wanted to. And just by starting there with people, it can kind of lead into, okay, now where do those fears stem from? Where, you know, some of them stem from childhood, some of them stem from uh, recent experiences. You know, there's so many different ways that uh, people are fearful and afraid. But that is a starting ground. And also, I do have a free ebook that is my website guys should be putting up either today or tomorrow, but it's a jump start to your joy. So it's nine questions that ask you, um, it, it, it kind of asks you, are you ready to receive joy? Because like I said, it's a choice and there's no secret behind it. And um, there's no miracle that I can perform to erase all the bad experiences that everybody goes through. Although I wish I, I wish I could, but we can't. And there's a, there's always a reason for so much of what we go through. So 
yeah, in my free ebook, I I talk about those. Um, I, I talk about the nine different ways that you can bring yourself to be open to receiving joy and help yourself prepare. So, so being ready is is and just being open is the first step. Yeah, sh- shift. There's a shift in mindset that I do with people to help them become become ready. That's amazing. I remember going to Elizabeth Gilbert, um, her book Big Magic when she was releasing it. Uh, she came down to Nashville where we live. And I went to her book launch and one of the most powerful things that she said tonight was so simple, but it just totally shook me in all the right ways because she said, fear is boring. And I sat there and I was like, oh, like how many times or how many things have I held myself back from because I've been scared? Yes, and I have to give a shout out. Shout yeah. out to Elizabeth Gilbert. Her family lives right down the road. Oh, man. She's like, <laughs> we get her. Yeah. yeah, we get our Christmas trees from them. They're wonderful people. Yeah. yeah, I it was it was one of those moments that was like a radical shift for me of like, where am I living in fear? And right, just remind myself yeah. like this is boring. This is not the way to live. Yep. There's more and bigger and funner and exciting things beyond this. And if I could just stick with the discomfort and be with it what can happen. So yeah. Absolutely. Amen to that. (laughs) (laughs) Well, where can our listeners find more about you and connect with you after this podcast, Lindsay? Absolutely. I am on Facebook and Instagram at author Lindsay Gibson. It's like Gibson Guitars, which I'm sure you're familiar with down there in Nashville. (laughs) Um, And Lindsay with an A. So it's at author Lindsay Gibson. And also my website is lindsaymariegibson.com. So you can find all my info on there. Lindsay, thank you so much for being with us today. You're welcome. Thank you, Amy. Thank you guys so much for being with us today. That was Lindsay Gibson. Absolutely amazing and powerful story, right? So much bravery, courage, compassion, back to joy, back to her true self through the experience of trauma and stillbirth. As always, you can find our show notes and resources on our website at www.abreathoffreshawe.com. You can also follow us on Facebook and on Instagram at A Breath of Fresh Awe. Tune in next week for our next episode. Also have to give a huge shout out to our Nashville-based musician, Brendan Mayer, performing Starting With You. Both him and his father, Peter Mayer, have a new record out called Long Story Short. It's available for purchase on iTunes this week. Please go and look for it. It is absolutely amazing. Something about the way the empty space between us Don't stay empty long like the horizon Can't stop colliding the sea and the sky Even if I wanted to, couldn't get away Pull is just too strong, can't quite explain it You've got a way that makes me feel like I I've been flying blind through the darkest night Oh, but you're like seeing my first sunrise I never had anything to lose I couldn't just let go, forget I ever had I never, I never had to choose between wanting what I have, knowing I want it back, but now I do, starting with you.
crazy faded face or two Who I was, who I've been, who don't want to be again Every time you kiss me Girl, you go and feel the empty in me Oh, I never had anything to lose I could have just let go, forget I ever had I never, I never had to choose Between wanting what I have, knowing I want it back But now I do, starting with you Choose between wanting what I have 